Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. Join us as we journey together through the book of 1 Peter in our current series entitled Living Hope. We pray that this message will encourage and enrich your life. For more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com. Uh, my name is TJ. I have been the lead pastor here at Bluff First for the past five years. Before that, I was youth pastor here for the better part of a decade. Yes, we've been here. We've been here since 1970-something, and so we're so glad that you are here today, that you found your way uh, to worship with us this morning. If you have a Bible, or you have, let's be honest, if you have a phone, why don't you find 1 Peter chapter 4. I can't believe this. We have been studying 1 Peter since the Sunday after Easter. How many of y'all been here pretty much? the whole series. Let me see some hands. Okay, good job. Y'all been here. We did take a month off for missions in June, but what a great study we have had in this series that we have called Living Hope. So as you find chapter four, today is the next to last installment in this series, Living Hope. Next week, we will be in chapter five, Baptism Sunday, what an awesome day that will be. And then the following Sunday is Vision Sunday. So it's an exciting rest of the month here at Bluff First. You don't want to miss a Sunday. If you don't know what Vision Sunday is, we talk about where God's God's taking us and leading us into the coming season. And everybody gets excited about that, but everybody really gets excited about lots of new t-shirts and stuff. I don't know why everybody gets excited about merch, but that's, that's kind of a kind of thing. So anyway, um, we are going to jump right back into 1 Peter. And today is kind of um, a little bit of review because it is, we're, the, the topic today, Jason told you I'm preaching on suffering, that has been a theme throughout the letter. That has been part of the entire letter of 1 Peter. I hope that you have grown through this series Um, You know, we don't always teach through books of the Bible, uh, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, but we do so pretty often, at least once or twice a year, and and we do that for a reason. Um, We don't do it because we ran out of ideas on sermon series or whatever. We do it because we believe that the Word of God sometimes says things that nobody wants to talk about and nobody wants to preach about and nobody wants to select, and it confronts us in ways that we otherwise would have never, you know, we'd never cherry pick some of the passages that we've preached from First Peter, and yet as we've gone through that, I hope that you have grown, and um, we want you to to be a student of God's Word, not for information. How many know uh, there's been lots of people that knew a lot of things about the Bible, but really weren't worth a lick when it came to loving people and serving Jesus, right? Lots of people could study the Bible. Jesus was surrounded by Pharisees who knew the Word of God very well, right? Their heart wasn't in it. So the point is not information this morning as we open the text. The point is transformation, okay? Our goal for you, we do want you to have biblical literacy. We want you to know the Bible. But it's not just literacy we're after. It's intimacy. We want you to know God. We have three core values here at this church. And the first one is know God. We want you to be able to know God. And the best way to know God is through his word. He has revealed himself in his word. And so our goal every Sunday is that you would leave here with a better knowledge of who you is, who he is, who you is too. A better idea of who you is and who he is. And then, and then what to do with that information, right? If it's good on Sunday, but it's not good on Monday, it's not very good, all right? But if it's preaching and teaching and study that opens the word of God for us in such a way that doesn't just give us goosies, you know, on Sunday, but actually helps us where the rubber meets the road on Monday, then that's valuable. And that's what I hope you've gotten through living hope. We pivoted kind of in the middle of the letter to a theme that is not very popular, that none of us really enjoy talking about, and that was the theme of submission. We talked about what it looks like 
to live before a world that is watching us live, even as we submit to governments that we don't agree with, bosses that we don't like, spouses that aren't fellow believers, whatever it might be. We've been talking about submission. And so today we look again at submitting to something that doesn't sound very fun, submitting to suffering. In the letter of 1 Peter alone, Peter talks of suffering, I think, 21 to over 20 times. Over 20 times in five chapters, he talks about suffering. How many think that's kind of a, a, a main theme of the letter then, right? If it comes up 20 times in five chapters, maybe it's important. So if you would, find verse 12 of chapter 4 with me, and we are going to read a, a decent little chunk here, okay? Decent little chunk. That was my nickname in grade school, if you didn't know that. That's <laughs> not true. All right, First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, we highlighted that word earlier in the series. We'll come back to that. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Now, just a quick pause button. I think it's ironic that Peter would choose the word fiery, knowing what we know of what was going on in the church in this day, right? Knowing they were under, we talked about this in modern day Turkey and Asia, ancient Asia Minor, under the rule and reign of Emperor Nero, who did not like Christians, burned them alive so that he could race his chariots at nighttime. He lit the streets with human beings, eventually would burn his own city and blame the Christians. Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice, how we re rejoice in suffering? Rejoice, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That is at his second coming, at the establishment of his kingdom. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer, and I want you to see this, let those who suffer according to God's will. Some of you have received some bad teaching, some bad theology along the way that says that God doesn't want you to suffer. He wants you to be healthy and happy and smiling at all times. Okay? And I do believe God is a good father who gives good gifts and wants good things for his children. But notice, in that goodness of God, in that good plan of God, there are times that suffering is part of that plan. Those who suffer according to God's will will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We just sang about this, right? Let go, my soul, and trust in him. Entrust their souls to a faithful God. So today, a very simple message. We've talked about suffering throughout this letter. Today, I'm going to give you, uh, I don't know if anybody else is like this. My wife, her number one spiritual gift, I think her number one thing in life is lists. Anybody? Are there any ladies here? You're just like, I got a list for everything. My wife love lists, loves lists. Today I'm going to give you a, couple, a little list, okay? I'm going to give you some do's and don'ts of suffering. 
I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you have been through. But I know chances are, if you're in this room and you're breathing, you have endured suffering. How many say this morning, Pastor CJ, I've been through some, I've been through some suffering, right? Most of the room, some of you have had perfect angelic lives. That's awesome. Most of the room has gone through suffering. And listen, spoiler alert, you're going to go through more suffering, okay? There's going to be more. So regardless of what you've been through or what you're going through right now today or what you might face in the future, the word of God is timely. So my prayer is that it would speak to your circumstance. Look at verse 12 again. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. And I love that as Peter talks about suffering, he uses that word again, beloved. Because here's the thing. When we suffer, when we're struggling, when we're going through stuff, it is easy to wonder if God loves us, if God cares. So here's the first thing on your list this morning. The first don't. When you suffer, don't forget you are loved. When you're going through it, don't forget that you are loved. This is primarily important. It's not just like touchy-feely good stuff, like, oh, you're loved. No, really, it is so critically important that you remember that you are loved by God. It is your primary identity, okay? If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, there are people in this room that are Christians, there are people in this room that are not Christians yet, that's okay. If you are a Christian, before you are male or female, before you are white or black, before you are Republican or Democrat or neither, before you are a Chicago Bears fan or a Green Bay Packers fan, before you are any of those things, you are his. You are adopted, chosen, purchased by God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are sons and daughters. You've got to keep that in mind when you suffer. You've got to have that in perspective because it's easy in the midst of suffering to forget who you are and to forget how God cares for you and wonder where he is. In your suffering, don't forget that you are loved. And then what does he say next right after that? He says, beloved, you, you are so loved, okay? Don't be surprised at the fiery trial. So when you suffer, don't be surprised. And again, it's easy right? When we go through difficulty, it's easy to think, man, where is God? Does he love me? It's also easy to think, where'd this come from? How dare God let this happen to me? What is going on? It's easy to be stunned and surprised, but Jesus told us, look, people hated me. They're going to hate you. People betrayed me, even my friends. They're going to betray you. There were storms. Even when I was in the boat, there were storms you're going to go through storms. There was difficulty. There was pain. Don't get caught off guard by that. Don't be surprised by that. We'll keep it moving. Thirdly, don't forget your love. Don't be surprised when you suffer. And when you suffer, this is a big one. Don't feel alone. Peter says, don't think it's strange. Don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you. Right? And then this is what the enemy loves to do to us when we are in suffering. He loves to make us feel like the thing that we're going through right now, the suffering we're going through, is unique. That we're the only ones. That nobody else understands. That nobody else gets what it's like to go through what we're going through. That we are suffering and that we are alone. 
The enemy loves to isolate us that way. He loves to convince us that we are alone. But Peter says, no, don't feel like that. Don't feel like something strange is happening, okay? The good news is you're not alone. The bad news is suffering is the normal, the normative human experience, okay? Suffering is normal. You're not alone. You're not isolated. Your circumstances are unique, and God sees you even in your unique circumstances, Your immediate inner circle may not relate to the current pain that you're going through or the past trauma you've been through. There might not be, it might not be that your spouse understands exactly what it's like, right? Or your best friend understands exactly what it's like. But you are not alone. You are not alone at all. And you know, this is a problem. This is is one of the reasons people who don't believe in God um, don't believe in God. It's this right here, suffering. Right? How many of you have known someone, don't point at anybody, right? But you've known someone, they were, they were attempting to live for God, they were going to church, they were doing that whole thing, and then a Christian or a church hurt them in some way, and they endured suffering at the hands of the church, right? And now they don't want anything to do with church or anything to do with God because of suffering. Anybody, anybody seen that happen, right? Or you know someone, and they, were, they believed in God, they were doing fine, and then tragedy struck, sickness, car accident, disease, loss, infertility, and now, man, I don't know if I can believe in God. I don't know if I can follow God. I don't know if I can serve God, right? That happens to people, and I'm not making light of it. It is very understandable, but I think this morning we have to think about this, okay? If we face suffering and it causes us to question God's existence or question his love, if it causes us to go, man, where is God? I just can't believe in a God that would allow so much suffering. And and let's be real, most of the time, we don't care that much about suffering until it is suffering of the innocent or it's our suffering, right? Like if you get what's coming to you, if you're making bad choices and you wind up suffering for it, we're not all that empathetic. But if it's a child that's suffering or it's me, my family, I'm suffering, now all of a sudden, where are you, God, right? When things are going well, we're not staying up at night worrying about world suffering. We're doing fine as long as we're not suffering and nobody close to us is suffering. But when it's personal, when it localizes, then we say, where are you, God? Where, where is God? Can I ask you something this morning? If you come to that conclusion that because of suffering, maybe there's no God, maybe he doesn't love us, maybe he doesn't exist, where does that leave you, right? If we're going to ask the question, where is God in suffering, let's also ask the question, where is there's no God in suffering? What does that leave you with, right? If we're on this planet or we're on this rock and we're just spinning in the universe randomly there, and there is no God, there is no moral authority, there is no higher good, and so everything that happens in the world, it's not really good or evil, it just is because it's all meaningless anyway and we're just going to be gone and forgotten and when we take our last breath, that's the end of our existence. There is no God, there is no eternity, there is no judgment, there is no heaven, there is no hell. If that's the case... Where does that leave you with in suffering? Nothing. Meaningless. Pointless. Who cares? Hopeless. Peter says, no, no, no. Listen. There is a God. There is a throne. He's in control, and this suffering is momentary. It's temporary, and it's not purposeless. It's purposeful. That's hope, right? That we have a God that's going to end our suffering. That we have a God that when we get to the end, we're going to see the point. We're going to see the purpose that was in it. 
I mean, it, it is one thing that everybody suffers. You're going to suffer. And this is the problem. Sometimes preachers sell a God who is going to eliminate all suffering the moment you pray a prayer and, and throw a 20 in the offering. That's not where our hope comes from. We don't have all suffering removed the moment we come to Christ. We have the penalty for our sin removed, and we don't suffer as people who aren't forgiven. But this world is still broken because there's free will. It's a broken world, and there's pain, and there's suffering, but it's temporary. Our hope is for the life to come. Our, th- these are momentary afflictions that will be eclipsed by glory that is everlasting and eternal. I need to get off my soapbox, okay? Somewhere in my notes. Here we go. There's coming a day where there is no more suffering. Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't feel alone. Don't think it's strange. Don't forget you're loved. Have perspective. You know what kind of suffering is strange? CrossFit. No, I'm just kidding. You know what kind of suffering? Brussels sprouts, no. Uh, here's strange suffering. None. That's strange. If you go through your life and you don't suffer, that's weird. Okay? Everybody suffers. So it can be meaningless, hopeless, all alone, or it can be alongside a God who cares and knows and a church that bears your burdens with you if you allow them in and you, you, you have community. Those are the options. You're going to suffer. You want to suffer with no hope or you want to suffer with hope? You want to suffer without God or with God? You want to suffer with no support or with a support system that God has ordained and put in your life? These are the options. Okay, so after the don'ts, Peter gives us some do's. Everybody say do. Everybody say Mountain Dew. Now pretend you drank one and wake up, okay? Hey, there we go. I see one. That's water, maybe. I don't know. I hope it's Mountain Dew. I don't have good enough eyes. Okay, when you suffer, do rejoice that Christ is with you. Peter takes a horrible thing like suffering, and he places it on a pedestal. He makes it an awesome thing. He says, listen, if you're suffering righteously, right? We're not talking about suffering like, hey, you got to pay a ticket because you were driving 95, right? That's not suffering, all right? That's just penalty. It has consequences. But if you're righteously suffering, Peter says, that's a position of honor. You're in good company because we serve a suffering Savior. You are not alone. You are with him. And if you're sharing in his sufferings, you'll share in his reward. This is the crazy exchange that took place at the cross and at the tomb. Jesus, God in flesh, right? Well, God put on flesh. There's the first exchange right there. He puts on humanity. And the scripture says, he that knew no sin became sin. Jesus put his sin, put our sin upon himself. He had no sin. He, he became sin for us. And then we, in exchange, we get to take off our sin and we get to become his righteousness. And so Peter says, when we suffer for righteousness sake, we can rejoice in knowing that we are being counted worthy to even suffer for Christ. We're being able to suffer for a little while and share in his suffering. But just like he was only in the tomb a few days, our suffering, when in comparison to eternity, our suffering is momentary. It's brief. 
And that for righteousness sake line is important, isn't, isn't it? Because, I mean, there's general suffering in our world, and God has a way of using that. But, but verse 14 and 15, Peter reminds us there's good reasons to suffer, and there's bad reasons to suffer. Look at verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Doesn't mean if you're a Christian troll, keyboard warrior, argumentative, Bible thump, that's not what he's talking about. If you're truly living for Christ and serving other people, there's going to be some people who don't like that. If you suffer for that, you are blessed. Spirit of God is on you. It's with you. But don't suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a meddler. And I love he threw evildoer in there because that just kind of throws in the rest of us, right? You're like, I'm not a murderer. Check. I'm not a thief. Check. Evildoer. Sinner. Oh, oops. Peter says there's no glory in suffering for your sin. So when you suffer, do be picky in your suffering. Be selective about why you might suffer. We saw this in chapter 3 and 4, right? That, that if you're submitting to a boss that's unjust, if you're serving a spouse or a master or a government that is not righteous, God sees that. That's a, that's a good reason to suffer. But if you're suffering for harming other people, or you're suffering because of your own sin, or you're suffering because, let's be real, some of us are dealing with the consequences of our own big mouths, right? Our own quick tempers, or whatever it may be. There's no glory in that kind of suffering. There's no reward for that. Some of us are suffering for our sin. Listen, Jesus already suffered for your sin. You shouldn't be having to go through that again. And I know we're not perfect. I know we're not gonna be sinless. But we, we don't have to walk in sin and walk in lifestyles and temperaments that are going to constantly keep us trapped in the consequences of our sin. We can walk in freedom. And he gives us this little footnote. He says, listen, um, if believers are going to suffer and face judgment, how much harder will it be for those who don't obey the Lord? And I think that's Peter's way of saying, listen, suffering is temporary, and for the believer, this world makes you long for heaven. It makes you be like, man, I can't wait to get there. But there are people in this world, if something doesn't happen, if, if God doesn't intervene, if you don't share the gospel with them, if their lives aren't changed, this world and all of its suffering is the closest to heaven they'll ever get. And so there's this mission that we have to reach people with the hope-filled message of Jesus, and it is urgent. It is urgent. People are watching how we live, and so we ought not be suffering for being jerks. We ought not be suffering for being fools. We ought to be suffering because we're presenting Christ to a, a doubting and dying world. That's a valid reason to suffer. Look at verse 19. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Again, if you didn't underline, underline that already in your Bible, sometimes suffering is God's will. Let those who suffer entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So when you suffer, do keep trusting and do keep serving. Your God has perspective that you don't have. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So it's not that all things are always for good, but it's that God can use even evil things, even broken things, he can use them for good in the life of his children. So I just don't understand that. Do you remember last year we looked at Joseph's life? I know most of us don't want to remember 2020, but last year we looked at Joseph's life. 
And his own brothers tried to kill him, and they settled, they compromised. They're like, eh, we'll just sell him into slavery instead, throw him in a well, right? And God used that to put him in a position of power, and God spoke to him through a dream and prepared him for a famine that literally saved the world. And Joseph himself told his brothers, who, let's be real, the brothers thought he's going to kill us. He's going to get even. Joseph said, listen, what you did to me, you intended for evil, but God used it for good. God used it for good. Sometimes suffering is used in our life, and if we'll steward it, God will bring about our good and his glory through that suffering. And I love that Peter says, while doing good, because listen, if you and I know how to avoid suffering, we do it. If we have a way to skip suffering, we do it. That's what most of our inventions are, right? Look, are you tired of bending over to pick up the remote? Try the, you know, there's always, there's always a solution, a problem you didn't even know you had. And it's all to make you more comfortable. It's all to make you suffer less. Peter says, listen, when you're doing good, gets you in trouble. When you're living for Jesus, causes you to suffer. Keep doing it. Don't stop. If living for Jesus causes you pain, keep living for Jesus. Entrust your soul to him. And that word entrust is a banking term. Some of you all work at banks, you understand this. Entrust your soul to him. Deposit your life into God's hands, into his care, into his bank, if you will, and trust that it will not come back. He's, it's, your check's not going to bounce. He's not going to ruin, lose your money, forget. Like You can trust God with your life. And I don't know anyone that has taken that step to trust him and truly regretted it. I know people that have thought turning to God will remove suffering, and then when they suffer, they go, what was the point? And they walk away. But I don't know anyone with an actual perspective of what serving Jesus is supposed to look like who has made that decision and then regretted it. It's the best thing you could ever do. And we know that we can trust God. We said this earlier in the series. We know that we can trust God in our suffering because we trust a God who suffered. He's not just a God who watches us and says, we'll deal with it, get over it. But it's a God who gave his son. It's a Jesus who gave his life and prayed for his enemies. We trust a suffering savior. This morning, I have no doubt that you are suffering. Maybe it's something that you've been dealing with in your life, in your body, in your mental health, your entire life. Maybe it's a present circumstance at work, at school, in your marriage, in your family, with your parents, with your children. Maybe it's a recent emergency, it's a financial thing, it's a physical thing. I don't know what it is. But listen, don't let it push you further from God. Where will you be then? If you ask, where is God in my suffering? Where is no God in your suffering? I would rather have a father who cares that I'm close to than to be all by myself in suffering. Draw closer to him. Let your suffering make you more dependent. You know, I, I've got kids. I don't want them to suffer. If it was possible, I would never let my little girl or my little boy suffer. My daughter's three and a half. I don't want her to fall. The girl, I mean, we, we asked our doctor, like, is this normal? Her legs are always bruised. Can you test her or something? And they like, they ran her blood work, like, she's fine. She just falls all the time. I'm like, okay. 
And she does. She falls constantly. A couple nights ago, she took her to the bathroom. She was in the mirror. Dad, look at this mark on my face. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I see it. Go to the bathroom. She tripped and fell on the way to the bathroom. Like, it's just constant, right? She's three and a half. She falls. I don't want her to fall. I don't want her to suffer. But how many know it would not be loving, it would not be being a good father to lock her in my house and to take away her free will and to keep her there until she's 35 to avoid suffering? You would think that's crazy. I would go to prison, right? And yet we go, God, how could you let me suffer? Well, I love you, and I gave you free will, and I put you in a world that's full of lots of pain but full of lots of beauty. And you don't, listen, listen, we don't blame God for blessings very often, do we? We don't blame God for positive things. We don't wake up and go, man, God, I can't believe I can still walk, can't believe I can still hear, can't believe I can still see and speak and work. But quick are we to blame him in our suffering. And listen, I don't want my daughter to suffer, but she will. And when she does, do you know where I want to be? I, I can promise you, I don't want to be disconnected. I don't want to be a new phone who dis, you know? I, I, I don't want to be aloof and unconcerned. And that's your problem now. We raised you. You're on your own. Your mom and I, we're empty nesters. This is our time. Figure it out. When my daughter suffers, when her heart is broken, when somebody harms her, when she's sick, I want to be right there. I want to be closer I realize, like, you know what? She, she, she may not always act like she needs me, but right now she knows she needs me. That doesn't, that doesn't make me go, oh, you didn't want me before. No, it makes me want to be close to her, near her, comforting her. And listen, I am a lame dad compared to your heavenly father. Your father loves you, cares for you, is concerned for you in the great macro things and in the small little micro things. And he's not going to take you out of this suffering world yet. He's not going to remove all suffering yet. But in the grand scheme of things, this suffering is so brief and so momentary. And yet it can lead to a life and an eternity of glory and of a world where there is no pain, there is no tear, there is no divorce, there is no cancer. This is the God that we serve. You're going to suffer. Suffer with him or suffer without him. That's the choice Peter gives us. I think it's painfully obvious which we should choose. As long as you want to join me. Someone's going to lead us here in a moment in an old chorus. But we're going to wrap up today a little differently. Um, Right now, our team is going to start passing out prayer request cards. We're in the midst of 21 days of prayer. Jason's going to come and wrap us up here in a few minutes. But we want to pray for you. We want to be praying with you, even in your suffering. We want to hear from you. And I think to ask for prayer requires a certain level of humility. We love to be self-sufficient and not need anything, but you need your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you need prayer. I need prayer. I don't know what I'd be doing if it wasn't for prayer. I don't know what I'd do without it. And so we want to be praying with you. And I'm going to, I'm going to steal, I'm going to cheat I'm going to sneak ahead to next week's text real quick in dismissal or in closing. Chapter 5, verse 6, Peter says this, humble yourselves. That's what admitting you need prayer does. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself 
so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then look at verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's your loving father. You can put your worries on him. He cares. And if you jump down to verse 10, he says this. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you, he himself will restore you, will confirm you, will strengthen you, and establish you. That's a good father. That's a good father. So this morning, we want you to let us know how we can be praying for you. Write it on that card. Sloan's going to lead us in a song. You can be seated. You can stand and sing however you want to respond in this time. If you need prayer, feel free to grab one of us. We'd be happy to pray with you. But when you're done writing your request, I'm going to ask you to bring it to the front and lay it up here on this stage or on one of these altars. And we're going to be praying for you this week, every morning. Jason will give you some details about those prayer meetings. So we want to be praying with you this week. And we want to hear back from you. If God does something awesome, we want to hear, fill out another card later and let us know what God did and how he answered that prayer. Thank you for your time this morning. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com.